Hello and welcome to the Self Empowered Podcast. My name is Abby Marie and I'm so excited about today's episode because I'm going to be joining with Tracy Egan. Now, I'm not going to share too much about her story. I'm going to allow her to do that. But just a little rundown that Tracy has invested over 25 years of her life being a teacher, a curriculum leader, universal lecture principal, you know, she researched, she's got a PhD in community language. She's really devoted her life with her passion and her passion is to help people in the community to break those cycles, to understand themselves better and get themselves back on track. You know, she really wants to help them to find out what they're truly passionate about. So let's jump into it, shall we? So, hey, Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm so excited to be sharing, sharing, you know, our voice and, and talking about what you're so passionate about and just how life's been for you. So, yeah, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. So the first thing that I wanted to ask you, or maybe you could just, you know, introduce yourself to our listeners, you know, just saying like who you are and what you do and, you know, what are you passionate about? Okay. Um, so my name is Tracy Egan. I have a PhD in community, Aboriginal community education. Um, that took me 10 years to get. Uh, I've also worked in communities when I was 24, yeah, when I was 24, I moved to Kawanyama and I became a teacher there. So my background is education. Uh, I started as a new teacher in community and I've been working in communities except for three years. I've been working in communities since I was 25. Um, so I'm now 50, 22 years in community. That's living and working. I actually, when I was at university, I was asked, I, I became a tutor for this teacher, um, for her son. And she must have liked the work I was doing with her son because then um, she asked me to become a tutor through a government program. I can't remember back then. It was a very long time ago. Um, but I ended up tutoring these boys at what was Cath Walker Hostel in Redcliffe. And these were teenage boys who came down from Saibai Island and they came from Warabinda. And I was tutoring them. Um, they went to Redcliffe High and I was basically tutoring them with their English and also their mathematics. Um, and another boy, I was tutoring him with Japanese. So completely random. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was there, I don't know, something just resonated. And I thought, you know what? I really, I can see what the boys are struggling with in their education. And um, I'm, I'm listening to their stories and I thought, you know what, I think this is the thing for me. So ended up, I went to Kawanyama at 25, uh, 24 um, and I taught there for a couple of years um, and it was really life-changing. It opened up my eyes. Um, now, I wasn't brought up... Um, naive to the world Uh, but in saying that I realized how sheltered I really was and so when I went up there I basically they say that you've got two eyes and two ears and one mouth so you close your mouth and you open your eyes and you open your ears and then you begin to learn so I did that um, and I spent quite a bit of time with the elders um, and a couple of older ladies not much older than me, with families, took me under their wing. Um, and we'd go out bush. But we also started talking um, philosophically. And that just, I realised then that I did not have the skills that I needed to be the best teacher I could be. So I went on to do a grad, a graduate diploma in, being, in doing learning support. And I still realised I didn't have the skills. And I'm going, no, I still haven't hit the mark yet. So I then went on to get my Masters of Applied Linguistics. Um, and with that, I started to go, okay, maybe, maybe I've got this thing. Um, because I started, from there, my career went into curriculum. And I was leading um, communities and schools to understand, firstly, that the children in the 
the children were using a different language in the community as they were to what was expected in the school. And we call that Indigenous English um, and language um, dialects. So the kids were, when I, when I was on Palm Island, I went there in 2000. When I went to Palm Island, I was a Indigenous, oh, what was it? What was the name of the job? Oh, it's been a while. Basically, I was a literacy project, language and literacy project officer. And when I sat down with the teacher aides to work out where was the starting point, um, I started talking to them about the language differences. And I was getting told in perfect Creole that we speak English just like the white fellas. And I've gone, oh, okay, this could be the starting point. But then I would speak to the older people who had been um, under the mission system where they were deliberately taught by the nuns and the linguists, the standard Australian English. And when I brought those people into the group and we talked and was just getting to know each other and just listening and I, I ended up with a teaching partner. Her name's Winnie Obar. She's on Palm. Um, her and I just started sitting there and analysing how people were talking. Um, and the, the two of us together worked out what was going on. I couldn't have done it on my own and she couldn't have done it on her own. But together we joined forces and we just started having those little tough conversations around, did you hear? What, what do you think that meant? Oh, I heard this. Oh, I interpreted it as this. I interpreted it as that. So we ended up coming up with this, um, with this strategy that we took the kids out into the community to show people the differences in the languages. Now, I'm making it sound really easy. It wasn't easy. It took over 18 months. Um, before people started talking about the differences in language. And then that kicked off um, when I was doing my master's degree at the same time. I really started to look at contextual features that were going on. So what was this situation here and how come kids experience success in that situation but not so much in this situation? And started getting very analytical. Um, so from Palm, I went up to Naparam for a couple of years. Um, I spent oh, about nine months as the principal of a small school up there. Um, from there, I was then invited to be a curriculum officer with a principal. There were two of us and we did the Bound for Success curriculum for 38 schools across Cape York and the Torres Strait Islands. Now, that was in the time of the new basics era when Professor Alan Luke um, he led the way in suggesting that we needed to maybe adjust the curriculum to fit the contemporary times because the traditional way of doing the curriculum with the subject areas that we all know, you know, history, geography, English, maths, etc. Um, mm. The world had changed so significantly from when those subject areas came along. So we started doing these tasks. Um, one... An example of one was um, keep it safe, mate. So we, we developed, this is just an example of one of the tasks we had. We developed it specifically for Cape York and Torres Strait because we looked around at the context and we said, okay, what's something that we see as a pattern? What's a pattern here that needs addressing? Again, we went out, we talked to community members from across those 38 communities, um, we grew on the new knowledge we already knew because that principal and I had both worked in quite a few communities between us. Um, and we realised that people were going, for example, on really long road trips and they didn't have the right equipment or they'd go on boat trips and they wouldn't have the right equipment. And then they'd have a breakdown or something would happen and there was no contingency plan. So this keep it safe, mate, was a real meshing between how do we deliver on the school curriculum needs and then how do we also address the needs of the community. Now, we did a lot of those um, right across up to grade 10, so from prep to grade 10. What we noticed from our kids in communities, I remember there was one, Arakoon students achieved A's 
And another school, which was predominantly white students, actually achieved C's for the same task, exactly the same task. Wow. Um, and that showed us, and we had this mediate, we had the work, it was, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Moderated. The work was moderated by people in Brisbane. So it wasn't just us looking at it and going, oh yeah, black fellas can do more than white fellas. It wasn't anything like that. We looked at the work and we realised that the role of the teacher and mm-hmm. the teacher could become an enabler or the teacher could become a, a barrier. So we actually addressed that front on as well. So all of this was unfolding. Um, then Bound of Success as government initiatives and that do, it, it stopped. There was no more funding coming to it. And that was around the same time as the Australian curriculum came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I then ended up, um, my principal found her way into the Northern Territory up in Arnhem Land and asked me if I wanted to come up and do some curriculum support work. So I did. Um, from there, there wasn't really a place for me there because it's very, communities are really political and I'm going to say that because it's not just the politics of the government agency that you're working for. You've also got the politics of the actual school that you're in. And mm-hmm. within those politics, you're bringing together um, Indigenous and non-Indigenous. But then even within those two, you can just classify that further down, break down the classifications even further. Um, and... The key word in there is there's so much difference and it's complex difference. Then you go into the community and you've got the different clan groups. Um, some people say clan, some people say tribe. There's sociological meanings behind those that I'm not going to get into um, because some people, just for the same number of groups, they say, oh, yeah, clan or tribe. So up in the Arnhem Land, they referred to as clan groups. We had something like 17 clan groups. There were wow. 42, tri- 42 tribes on Palm Island. <laughs> wow. So you're trying to navigate this space respectfully and, mm-hmm. and, make, and try and get everybody's voice heard, and it gets really difficult. Mm. Um, when I was on Palm, we were just trying to come up with one spelling for Cup Murray. We got mm-hmm. it reduced to three. And went, we really can't reduce this anymore because um, people were so vehemently um, attached to the, their spelling of this word. And we went, okay, we've got bigger battles to, fro- you know, to fight out there. Um, but that mm-hmm. goes, that's just one little thing, the spelling of one word. Um, so, yeah, very complex terrain. I ended up, um, I was in Maningrida for six months when I was asked to apply for the position of the lecturer. So I became the lecturer for the Bachelor of Teaching and Learning under the Remote Indigenous Teacher Education Program. And I had at one point 11 students enrolled in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, were, they actually enrolled to do a full bachelor degree like I did. And I had to get them through that. Now, some of the two of the ladies had been through the education system in Brisbane, and they could have entered university in Brisbane. In fact, they both had applied for courses and they had been given places, but they wanted to stay up with their mum in this community. Um, so they came along into the, the bachelor course. And the other ladies had been educated. So they were a lot older than me um, and they'd been educated in the days when there was no, there was no one looking over Indigenous education for quality standards. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2007, there was um, Young Australian of the Year, Tanya Major. She got up and she, she said to the minister, Prime Minister at the time, John Howard, can you explain to me why I was getting straight A's in Kawanyama? And then when I went to a private school in Brisbane, I was getting D's. 
um, there's just no consistency across the year levels, uh, across the schools. There's no consistency from place to place. And you'll notice that that was a big feature then in the Australian curriculum, that an A in Kawanyama was the same as an A um, in Aston, in, you know, um, in Melbourne, in a Melbourne school, exactly the same. An A was an A, B was a B, a C was a C. So it, it, all, it, it all ends up tying in together. But, so the ladies who I was lecturing... They had a year three to year five literacy levels, but then you also had the conceptual differences. Um, and we actually went, I took four ladies to Bangkok to present a paper at a community development conference to explain why mathematics and science, more mathematics was um, so challenging for kids in communities. I got the two students who'd grown up in Brisbane I gave them each, I gave them and then the other students who had grown up in the community, in their own country, I gave them mm-hmm. butcher's paper and I said, right, here's, the curric- here's a curriculum document, you can make reference to it. So I gave them the Australian curriculum um, and I said, right, you can go through that, but I want you to write down all, all the words that you use to talk about time. So they wrote them down. Um, and this is in my thesis as well, there was something like 25 words on the paper from the ladies who had grown up on country of the words that they needed for their for living where they were. There was, and then there was like 250 to 300 words on the paper from the girls who'd grown up in Brisbane. Wow. And we sat down with... Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we sat down and we talked about that and we went, what, we did exactly what you just said. We went, wow, <laughs> what's coming on here? Um, mm-hmm. this, is, this is really interesting. So we started digging into that. And I remember having a conversation. Um, we had very open and robust conversations. And I, I really miss working with my university group. Um, the rigor, the intellectual rigor that took place in that room was even more than went through. Now, I'd done three university courses by now, and I was actually enrolled in my PhD, but the intellectual rigor that took place with those students was incredible. We talked one day and said, okay, we're talking about duration. So, you know, most people go, oh, yeah, duration of time. Yeah, yeah, you put the timer on, you know, or it takes. 10 minutes to get to the shop or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I come in with that head. The other ladies, the ladies come in with what's in their head. We sit down and I go, so when you go fishing, yeah, and you cook, you make your campfire and you cook your potatoes, I said, yeah. I said, so when do you know, how will you know when that potato's cooked? Oh, well, you, you take your fishing rod, you go down to the river, you catch your fish, you come back and the potato's cooked. And I go, oh, oh, okay, um, okay. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong with you? It's going to be cooked. And I'm going, in my brain, I'm going, is it a big potato, a long potato, a skinny potato, mm-hmm. a fat potato? Is it on top of the coals, under the coals? How hot are the coals? Are there even coals? Um, how long did it take to fish? And so my brain's going, and where do I, where does it start to come out of my mouth? And they're looking at me like, there is something insanely wrong with you. Um, <laughs> so we started, yeah, oh, it was, it was one of those, my, I don't think I'll ever, I think I'll have Alzheimer's and I'll keep talking about that story. Um, <laughs> so it was one of those moments that you go, there is something big going on here, but my yes. brain is in a knot. So we started unpacking it and I started saying, well, what if the potato's big and you've got a little potato? And they looked at me and they, they go, what do you mean? I go, well, potatoes aren't all the same size. And they go, no. They go, yeah, okay. And then they started getting this look on their face like, what the? 
And I've gone, well, what if you have you ever gone down to the river and you haven't caught a fish? And they're like, no, there's always fish there. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what, what if there's not fish there? There's always fish there. Right. Okay. Well, that argument's out the water. Um, but it was really interesting in the fact that here you have people who have so intelligently planned where where things happen, how things happen, when things happen, that they're not trying to get this control over the world they live in. They fit in with the pattern. So oh, those concepts those concepts don't have a place. They're not necessary. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 that's, that's amazing. Oh, And that's one little concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can just really see how, you know, when we, we and, and I'm pretty sure I've shared this with you before, that it's like we get into that survival mode, we get into, you know, freaking out over stressful things when you could just take it back, like what they're doing and just yeah. being like, there's always fish like it's it's fine you know like instead of trying to figure out all these things of how to take control of life in you know in a way of saying it where it's just like no just trust that everything just works out I really love that exactly Mm -hmm. it it is it's that trust um and that I I know they changed me um I just learnt to trust. And people, I remember new teachers coming up to me and and I hadn't noticed it before. You know, when you're in the middle of something and you're doing it too, you really don't see it. But then mm-hmm. I'd have these young teachers coming up and they'd be in an absolute slap about my, um, because my students were also the teacher aides in the school mm-hmm. and they'd be in a flap about this lesson and I'm going, well, just look, I've unpacked the concept with, with your student. You know, we've talked about the lesson and that. Just trust that it will happen, right? But it's not going to happen how you are doing it because otherwise the right program wouldn't exist because the department recognised that there was a lot of knowledge and skill um, in these students in the right in the bachelor um, course that I was teaching and that we wanted to get them to become qualified teachers because they had so much to offer. But it was interesting. The teachers had this um, perception that you teach this way. This is how you teach. This is it. Mm -hmm. But the ladies, and I say ladies because they were all women at that time, um, no men wanted to enrol until they sort of sat back and saw where this went and what was happening. Um, So they would go in and they would teach it in their way of, how they taught other things at home. Um, now, some people respected that and a lot of people didn't. And mm-hmm. I had people tell me, my students would come and say me, I'd, they'd come up and I'd say, what's going on? And they'd be upset. You could, you know, I mean, I knew that we knew each other so well. Um, I said, what's going on? Oh, and then someone would say, oh, the teacher is having a go on them that they can't teach. Oh, what? Oh, they're saying this and that. I said, yeah. You go, you tell them, if they've got a problem, they need to come and tell me because I need to address this problem. Guess how many people came and talked to me about their problem? How many? (laughs) Hardly anybody. Hardly anybody. So Mm -hmm. then I started to think, okay, so is this really about it being a problem or is this about power? Or is this, what is this about? Um, Mm -hmm. And I... When I investigated it further, you know, I started to realise then and through my PhD that the teachers are out of their jets. They're mm-hmm. at the, um, I know other researchers have referred to it as the coalface. They're there at the coalface having to interpret all of these different, you've got the, the languages, um, you've, their children would speak in language to them, especially in the younger grades speak in language to them and then look at them like, why don't you understand me? Because Mm. kids don't necessarily perceive that they're using a different language to the teacher. It's just language. Um, Mm. 
and the, the, the parents and the children would come into the classroom and they would treat it, you know, they would have behaviours that were probably more synonymous with home than they were with school. And the teachers going, ah, like, what are you doing? Um, and mm. the teachers had a real problem with mums coming into the classroom um, because they didn't have that connection to community. They didn't mm. have the privilege that I had had all through my career. So every place I've ever been, I know that I can go back at any time and there's a bed for me and a feed because I developed those relationships and connections. Um, and I did it. I didn't do it because I was at school. I didn't do it because I was a teacher. I did it because I wanted to connect with people. Mm -hmm. So you've got to look back at why you're doing this. You know, um, for some people in community, we go up to teach. Um, I remember when I was in Kawanyama, the one of the um, le the leaders in the school, she was Indigenous. She walked up to me. She goes, I can't work you out, Tracy. Here I am, 25, going, oh, oh, am I in trouble? Oh, no, I think I'm still 24. Oh, am I in trouble? Well, can't you work out? Oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done? You know, brand new teacher. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, most people who come here, and people in community would appreciate this, they're mercenaries, okay, missionaries, or misfits. So mm -hmm. a mercenary is someone who comes up to make money because you can save a lot of money in community. You don't have the daily commute. Um, you don't have the shops to go and spend your money at. And then online shopping came along, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that just ruined all the savings. But anyway... Um, the missionaries who wanted to come up and save the people, you know. Um, and then there were the misfits who didn't belong anywhere else. And so they were hiding in community. And I'd never heard of this. And when she said it to me and she, because I'm like, you know, what do you mean? She told me that and I'm going, oh, my God, which one am I? Which one am I? They're awful. What am I doing? So I'm freaking out going, oh, my God, I'm being labelled and it's not good. And later on she goes, yeah, I've worked out there's another category. I go, yeah, she goes, just normal. <laughs> I went, oh, I'm thinking, please let that be me. And she goes, that's you. And it's like, oh. So I went out bush with my mates again going, oh, thank God, I'm not one of those, you know. It, it sounds so crazy. But, again, patterns. And I've got to tell you, people in community – are onto the pattern, but especially the older people, um, and, and especially back in the 90s and that, um, right onto the pattern. And they're sitting back and they're watching the pattern. And they, I, they are very quickly able to see who is legitimate and who is not. Um, and so, you know, you've got all this rhetoric by all levels of government and people and companies and that now saying, oh, you've really got to make these connections with community and that. But I wonder how many people have ever sat down and talked about the duration um, and, well, how come you think of it like this and I think of it like that? And I don't, that doesn't happen. And that's the level of connection that needs to happen if you're to truly understand what's going on and what needs to happen next. Um, and that actually became the central theme of my PhD. Wow. we don't understand each other. Yeah. 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 Because, yeah. So, yeah, I know and that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, no, it's so interesting and you're so spot on. And I think when you have this open communication where you can just, you know, without judgment and just speaking to each yes. other and yes. just learning from each other, like, oh, I'm getting full body goosebumps. Like, it's just so powerful and so inspiring. Like, honestly, Tracy, you're so inspiring. I love hearing your story. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit why. So, everything sounds really, really great. It sounds like life is going on track for you and you're, you're doing these amazing things for your community. And I just want to, you know, Maybe just share with us, maybe what were some of the things that you were struggling with before kind of, before we met each other? What were some of the things that were going on in life that maybe, you know, you needed some some help or some guidance with? Uh, so my life ended up leading towards an absolute plane crash. Oh. Um, I was principal of a school. 
Um, being the leader, I like to call it the sitting duck. Um, mm-hmm. You cop it from all directions. And when you're copying it from all directions and people make up stories based on their limited perception and their lack of um, analysis of their perception. And, you know, pre-PhD, I probably never would have talked like this. I would have just gone, oh, you're an asshole," you know, and moved on. But post-PhD, you analyse everything within an inch of its life. Um, And I just, yeah, I remember being told by my uni supervisor, supervisor, when I graduated with the PhD, she goes, now you're about to join probably the most hated group on earth. And I went, what? Like, hang on a minute. What, what, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If I, hang on, what? And I said, what do yeah. you mean by that? Like, I've got a PhD. Like, my God, you know, this was a dream from when I was a teenager. And, you know, I think I was 48 when I finished the damn thing. It took me 10 years because... Um, you know, my ex-husband, autism, my daughter, autism, um, and being a uni lecturer, working full-time in the middle of trying to do a PhD, um, I tell you, it does nothing for your brain or your self-esteem. Um, so when I'd left all of that, and then here I am, principal of a school, and I remember one person walked up to me, because I would sign my name, Dr. Egan, you know, I worked for this thing, you know, and it was in my field of expertise. Here I am in a community school with my PhD in community education and this person walks up to me and goes, I don't know why you need to put doctor on it. I, I went, oh, I said, uh, because I am. And she goes, well, my, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, they've got doctorates and they don't go around calling themselves doctor. And that person there would go and complain to the department about the tiniest little thing. She would lie to me, set me up, all sorts of things, just horrible things. Um, And you can sort of wear it for a while, Mm -hmm. but after 18 months, it really takes its toll on you. Um, So there was that. Um, At the same time, my daughter was struggling. My daughter um, was being abused verbally by a family member. So she started cutting Mm. Um, and she was 14 at the time, 14 at the time. It took me 10 years to get her diagnosed with level two autism. Um, I started that process in Arnhem Land. Um, And I look, I've had people, she would be screaming Mm. um, and having meltdowns. And I found out there was some people keeping a book about me ready to report to child safety. And I'm going, and I went to, another time I went to the paediatrician and she goes, well, the problem is, Tracy, that you're letting her sleep in the room with you. And I'm like, that's that's an actual Aboriginal parenting, raising skill. That's how you raise your children because I tried to stay as true to that as possible. So let me go back a step. My daughter is a cockleberry girl from Kawanyama. I was asked to take her on as kinship adoption uh, because I was a member of the family up in Kaunyama and I had maintained ties from the 90s and I actually taught her mum when her mum was in grade four. So um, this little girl was in a situation where mum was overwhelmed with three children under the age of three, like three years and under, three kids, had one and then twins, uh, wasn't coping. And this little girl, she's she's unique. Everyone says their kid's unique. There's no one like this kid. Um, <laughs> she ended up coming to live with me and my husband. And I, I have been abused, being screamed at, stolen generations, all sorts of things. I've copped it. Mm. And it's interesting because the people who know me... Um, I've had, I've had my... So I was also adopted by an older lady on Palm Island... Um, and that's been for over 20 years. That you know, um, that old lady's now passed, but I'm still a member of that family, and you know, still involved in all of the meetings and all the rest of it, the decision making and that. Um, so, yeah. So the paediatrician has a go at me 
and says, you shouldn't be letting your child sleep in the same room. And I'm like, do you say that to all the families in the community? Mm. Oh, but, but you're not. I've gone, I'm not. I'm not what? And I pointed at my child. I went, I'm not what? What is your point you're trying to make here? And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, my God, how did mob go on with this? Because these people are so aggressive. But they're passive aggressive. They're not coming out up front with their aggression. They're just wearing you down bit by bit from the sides until they wear you away. And so that's ultimately what ended up happening to me. Um, bit by bit, I got worn down, worn down, worn down. People lied at me. I lied straight to my face. They talk, made up rumours about me. I had people used to spy outside my office and then go and report it to everyone. You know, confidential conversations. Um, I'm also not someone who you can just walk up and push over. I've had mm -hmm. people come up and want to bash my brains out, you know, um, and you're standing there going, so much for being respected as the principal. <laughs> this yeah. isn't going really well, is it? So I'd walk people to the fence and I'd go, I'd walk them up and they'd go, come out here. I'm good. Have a nice day. See ya. Mm. Um, so, you know, not everyone, like most people were really nice and really accommodating. Most people wanted to hear and participate in what the vision was. I achieved a lot of great things. But, you know, the saying, like, there's 100 things on your list. You do 99 things well and you do one thing that people don't like. You're remembered for that one thing. Mm -hmm. So try a, try a community, you know, a few hundred people and they've got their one thing. End up, you become very hated. Um, for reasons that people just make up. I mean, I was told at one point that I was basically responsible for COVID, you know. I got the power. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. oh, so it was so amazing. Just... Um, yeah. You know, you just go, wow. But what struck me was, again, and it goes back to the duration and, the, you know, the potato and that, no one mm. ever had a conversation with me. Mm. No one would talk to me. They would come along with all of their assumptions. And I think having that PhD approach to the world and analysing everything did me no favours either mm -hmm. because I gave the benefit of the doubt and I would see where people were in their journey and I would be supportive and accommodating when I probably should have nipped a lot of stuff in the butt straight away. But mm -hmm. I extended... I extended um, good faith when, when it wasn't actually being reciprocated. So anyway, I, I ended up out of that school, sent to another school amid, you know, a whole flurry of all these different stories. I met this amazing principal who I, I was up front. I just said, this is what happened. This is what people have said about me. And she sat with her mouth open going, oh, my God, are you, are you serious? And I'm like, drop dead serious, mate. What else do you want to know? Because what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. um, and I was raised like that and it told me a good stead in communities, well, mostly, uh, because people can see through the, the, the lies, you know. They can see through the falsities. So you be upfront, you be honest, you know. And people are willing to accept your flaws, um, because you're willing to accept theirs. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's reciprocated. Mm -hmm. But these concepts of reciprocation and connection and relationship have all been distorted in communities mm -hmm. by how they're interpreted by people of power, with power. And I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I'll stop right, yeah, stop right there. You know, it's an environment of distortion that people aren't questioning and if you do question it, heaven help you. Mm -hmm. um, you will be standing alone. Um, if yeah. you're not, fantastic. But 99.999% of the time you're standing alone. I can say that I don't know many other people who have had their career developing communities. I've had people say, oh, yeah, you're in community because you can't teach. Oh, okay. Mm. Give me, give me your child. I can teach a child anything because I get inside the child's head. 
I work out how they perceive the world and then you know how to teach them rather than this is how I've been taught and we're going to all learn it like this, she says to 35 kids who all have different learning styles. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Yeah, um, exactly. I've also been told, oh, yes, you like your job because you really like talking to people. You end up coming up with some little sayings and little remarks back, um, which, you know, in the moment you think you're really funny, but then later on it comes back to bite you really hard. <laughs> so you learn to shut your mouth. Um, yeah, but just even that, though, like, is it, is it such a bad thing to enjoy talking? You know, why is that being someone who's confident in speaking and teaching and loves what they do, why is that seen as something so negative, you know? And I don't know about you, but I know for me, like, the, the limiting beliefs or the wounded beliefs of other people who maybe don't have that confidence in themselves or, like, that jealousy or whatever it is where they're reflecting onto you what they wish that they had and putting you down for the strengths that you have, so often in life we'll just listen to that and we'll go okay and then we'll start to you know lower who we are as a person and make ourselves feel small to to fit in with everyone else you know have you felt that Abby you've nailed it you've You've nailed it and that's exactly what happened in that community um Mm -hmm. I was I became a shadow of who I was Mm. Um, and the people who I had helped, this is the other thing I learned, the people who I had helped the most mm-hmm. were the ones who bit back the hardest and the ones who were absolutely disparaging is not even the right word. Um, I, I, I don't talk to those people now. One of them I'm, I'm related to um, will swear black and blue never helped her a day in her life. I helped her with her with both her university degrees. Um, but when she got up and she made this, and again, I am that person who's got a mouth, um, but I don't use it to hurt. I, um, I will come back if I am, you know, antagonised or whatever, and I've, learnt, I've had to really learn not to do that. But when that person stood, my relative stood up and said, oh, yes, and I did this degree all by myself, I went, pardon? Like, I was so taken aback. I've just gone part, all by yourself, like, all by yourself, every little bit, every little bit by yourself. Yes. Looked me straight in the eye. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So all those little things ended up, my bucket started overflowing with all the wrong stuff. And mm-hmm. I ended up with complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. So the survivor, um, the person who... I, I would listen to anything from anyone, help anyone, do anything for anyone. I don't know. I think I, I just didn't have the boundaries right. And I remember saying to a friend not long ago, I was so busy with my career that somewhere along the line, I stopped reading people properly. I wasn't focusing on my emotional development, my personal development. It was so, I was so aggressively focused on my professional development. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, you know, if, if there are people around you, like I've been told I come from a place of privilege. My brother kills himself laughing. He goes, how do they figure that? I said, because I've got a PhD. We were, we were knock-kneed, you know, skin off the knee kids. We came from working class, parents. My mother left school beginning of grade nine, but they had an ethic and they supported us with that ethic. And, you know, I had a, I've still got it and it's a determination that I will get that. Not sure how. And the word mean, no means find another way. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. no. Means not this door. There's 600 other doors. Go and keep trying. But yes. people come along at this stage and they go, oh, yeah, you're privileged. You're a privileged white fella. You think you're all that and then some, and you're just going, wow, you're taking all your stuff and you're dumping it square on me because you haven't engaged in a process of Mm self-reflection. And yourself, where is your self-worth? Where is your self-love? And they do. Mm -hmm. They transpose what's going on for them onto you. So then I came across your course, um, and I saw it on Facebook, 
Um, I've always trusted my intuition. Like I'll be, you know, going along and something will present itself and it's just there in your face and my intuition will go that, that right there. Okay, so I went along with it. I went to your introduction, uh, your introductory presentation. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, yeah, this is, this is interesting, you know. Um, then we went from there and I signed up and I'm not someone who signs up to things. I'm the person oh, wow. who goes shopping on. I'm the person who goes shopping on the internet, fills that basket, and then walks away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think you, I think you were the first person to sign up um, after that presentation. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <So> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So something resonated really quickly for me, and yeah, um, mind you, I the one thing that I do spend my money on is education and learning mm -hmm. so I, I went in did this um your I can't remember who my support person was there was something you were talking about she flicked a message that said oh my god that is you based on what you've said to me and I was like oh my god yes it is <laughs> who is this person who is this Abby what's is she in my head get out of my head what are you doing <laughs> um it was, it was it was one of those moments where you're like, are you sure you don't have a camera in my house? Are you sure? Um, but, yeah, wow. I know, it's weird. Yeah, I know. Like I love, what I love to do is I love to, like, teach from the heart and share what I've been through and the struggles that I've been through, but also teach what the tools that I've used to help myself. So, like, that connection yes. of are you in my mind, it's like, yeah, because I was thinking those thoughts before I was doing those things before you know and this is why I know that you know this process or this next step that you're going to do is going to really help you to you know overcome what it was that was holding you back is that kind of what you were yeah, feeling in like, that moment? absolutely it's like you know when when that person said to me oh you know you're here in community because you can't teach and I went no I know how to I can align myself with the students so I can put myself mm -hmm. in their shoes and understand it's exactly that um, yes. and, and that's actually a very rare um, trait or skill, however you want to look at it. A lot of people can't do that. So here mm. you were, and I'm looking for the camera. No, okay. Um, but then when I first started the course, um, it was just, it just resonated, all of it. You made me go back and look at my values. Um, and I would say, and I've had, you know, I've had it confirmed from very critical. I've got some of my best friends are very critical, but that's because we've all got each other's backs and we won't tell you what we want, what you want to hear because mm -hmm. that doesn't help you with growth and development. Um, but my values, like I, my moral compass is on point and I've never waved from it. Like, you know, I, I don't kick dogs I don't I don't even kick a dead animal you know I you know you pick it up and you put it into a better place and you know I don't go around walking on plants like it's so stupid the things I do because I'm very I try to be very considerate and very um there are things you do and there are things you don't do but along the way I don't know I haven't looked at my values in a long time so when you were like, okay, we're going to go back to the values. I was like, oh, well, I've already got this. But then how you presented it made me go, no, Tracy, you had this. What's going on now? You need to go back and rethink this because you are not who you were. And this is one of the things you said. You are not who you were five or ten years ago. You are not that same person. Things have happened. Because I think people like to say, oh, I'll never change. I, I hear it all the time. I'll never change. I mean, I'll never change. But you do change. And you have to change because that's what learning and life is about. It's about change. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not the enemy. Exactly. So it's you, just the, like the way you put it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say it's just like when you, um, like a seed, a seed has to change to turn into a tree. If you want to grow, you yeah, have exactly. to change. And it's exactly. so many people say that, like, oh, I'll never change. Like, it's a bad thing to grow. Like, it just, it blows my mind. Like, if I'm changing, I mean, even just like if you went down on a cellular level, like our skin and our cells are changing every single day. 
So yes. why would you yes. want to stay the same? Like it just blows my mind. Exactly. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> No, so all of every all of that started really resonating with me. And you made us look at um, I haven't got my book in front of me. Um, you know our health, our relationships. Now I I got divorced. I remember my PhD supervisor. You know how's your marriage? I'm thinking why are you checking in with me about my marriage? Um, apparently, eighty percent of PhD students, especially women, their marriages end in divorce. And so oh. I finished my PhD and I've gone, no, nah, my marriage is good. Well, now I'm divorced. Um, wow. <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. Mm. When it rains, it pours. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So the, the oh, look, the other thing in the middle of all of that too, um, all the things that were going wrong, my daughter ended up getting gang raped um, oh, because I wasn't there to protect her. Um but my God, I left a path of carnage afterwards, let me tell you. Um, but, you know, she now only lives with me, only. Um, and she didn't understand that she had been raped because she has autism. Mm. Um, and she thought she was a consenting adult at the age of 15. And the adults around her did not know how to support her. So it was just a cluster. Anyway, so as you're doing this, I've started reviewing all of those situations and going, you know what, what is important to me? And I have the right now to change my mind. I don't have to be loyal to any of these ideas, um, to any of these feelings. I can now, you, it was like you gave us permission to sift through, first of all, work out what was actually from me and what was from outsiders. Um, I grew up, so people with complex PTSD, it usually originates when you're a child. Things happen and it never gets addressed um, properly and then you, you, your bucket becomes overflowing with the wrong stuff and then next minute you're not coping at all. You can't even walk around without bursting into tears at, a, at an ant being eaten by a gecko, you know. Um, it, it's, it's, really, it's really bad. The process that you set up gave me permission. First, yeah, I worked out where these voices were coming from. It actually made me started thinking about all the chatter that was going on in my head and reflect on is this helpful or not helpful? And I've been down the rabbit hole. I go down rabbit holes all the time. Went down the rabbit hole with that internal chatter and that. Um, but the process that you set up, I was able to say, okay, voice on, voice off. And so when I get those um, voices in that now telling me about what I should think and feel and that, I actually yell out, stop. And it cuts it off right there, dead in its tracks. Stop, I'm now choosing to go this way with my thoughts. But your course gave me that the skill and the permission. I don't think, we don't talk about this stuff in general society. We don't talk about it. So, you know, you're given permission about, or, or people might encourage you to jaywalk, for example. I'm just pulling that out of my hat. You know, like you, you're being a bit naughty, you're breaking the law, you're looking around for the police before you jaywalk, you know. But somewhere along the line, someone has either said, yeah, if I can do that, we'll just do that, no one's looking. Or you've done it and you've gotten away with it, so that in itself is permission to do it again, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But this whole what do you think and how do you relate to people, um, what are your values around money and all the rest of it I had never come across it before um, so very refreshing and I am eternally grateful to you for this it helped me come back and redefine my baseline of who I am because in all of this push yourself push yourself taking on board other people's stuff and guff and you know whatever you lose who you are and you lose sight of your baseline. You're so far ahead that you've then got to re-establish what are my values, what are my beliefs, and is this of benefit to me or is this destroying me? Yes. So, yeah. It's, it's so powerful and, yeah, oh, I mean, like you just think it's like I've been doing my whole life a way that is not authentic to me, like just going, I guess, through that hustle or like in that masculine of just like 
go, 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 how society is just so fast, 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 fast. Do this now, do this now, do this now. And you're like, okay, okay, okay. Where it's like when we when we take that time to just stop and just really have a look at what's deep inside of us and what is truly important to us, it it just can it's like, I don't know, like it just shatters everything in life, but you come into life of this new found way of thinking and things don't feel so hard anymore do you feel that like when no, you're living a life of your values it just happens all the miracles happen yes. and the wins and it's like wow like it was hard for me to get out of bed the other week now I can't wait because I'm looking at like I'm just so excited for the day exactly that's exactly what happened to me I can say I would recommend your program for people with complex PTSD um, because I basically, I've got a new lease on life now. My, oh, I've yeah. had to completely change direction. Like I will never. So I have been dedicated to education since I was 19 years old. I'm now 50 and I am turning my back on the education system. I have to for my own sanity. I have mm -hmm. to do it. Even my, my psychiatrist actually said to me, you can't do this anymore, Tracy. And I was in a place where, but I have to do it. This is who I am. I have to do it. And now I've had everything thrown on me. My life is destroyed. Um, I am a useless piece of crap. That's what I was thinking. I, I have nothing to offer. Um, I was suicidal. The only reason I would never do anything is because of my daughter. But then you still wake up some days and go, oh, my God, I woke up. Really? really can't even get that right you know mm -hmm. that stuff but now um and I haven't gone off for me the redirection is not go off the path of helping people in community who want to be helped you know and there are people out there going look I just need the right opportunity I need the right support but that means with 38 people in the room that's got 38 different meanings so you know I'm now in the process of setting up a, biz a business, hopefully. I mean, at the end of the day, my fallback plan, I can still be a teacher, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but even that, I'm still trying to come to terms with, with everything you've done. Is that a step backwards? I'm still grappling mm -hmm. with that one. Yeah, but mm -hmm. you still grapple with it, you know, and that is that's that mas masculine energy. Yes. Um, that may be like another little wounded belief of yes. of that story that people say, like, oh, if you work, oh, I know that my, my dad has said this before as well. He's like, I've spent my whole life doing this one career. I'm a failure mm -hmm. if I change now. I failed if I stop. And it's like, to who? To who? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and I think when we when we connect in deep down, like how you're saying that you're kind of struggling with that a little bit, it's just like, Again, just stopping and connecting into our body, taking that conscious breath, connecting to our heart and just saying, what do I want to do? And I know that you already yeah. know the answer now, you know, that you want to start that online business or, you know, helping that business in their communities and, and helping, like you just mentioned, people who want yeah. to be helped and teaching more. You know you already want to do that. So it's like kind of just saying, shouting out like what you do, like stop. <laughs> And, you know, stopping that that negative mind chatter that's trying to bring guilt or shame or whatever it is that you're trying to, it's trying to put on you and just being like, boom, I'm done. <laughs> this is what I'm doing now. That's it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's find another way, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I was always, you know, like I've been a lecturer. Um, I've, at my last school, I got nine people enrolled to be teachers, you know, <laughs> enrolled in the course. Because yes. I'm a firm believer of, um, I sit down with people and go, so what do you want? Like, what are you good at? What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. um, and, and they say, you know, I don't really know. And I go, well, you know, let's look at, let's just have a look. Let's just chuck some ideas around like, you know, what do I see? What do you feel? What do you see? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then work out. And I love doing that. So that's the part I've actually gone back to now, mm -hmm. you know, gone back to, getting people understanding themselves better to get them on the right track. Um, because, again, 
you and I have lived it. You're caught up in the chatter. You're caught up in the gr- the daily grind, and it really is grind is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, but you lose who you are. What are you passionate about? And that's mm-hmm. what I loved about, uh, you know, with your course as well. Like, what are you really passionate about? Because if you're doing something, and I've been blessed along the way. I've done things I'm very passionate about to the point where I was working 17-hour days, not because I had to, but because I just loved it. And it was like, oh, I just can't stop doing this. <laughs> um, probably shouldn't have done that now. There is such a thing as, you know, energy. Um, but I went from that to, like, real – but I went from that to I woke up and I can't even get that right. Like, that is not who I am. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, got back in contact with, you know, my passion. Um, and when you're really passionate, it's interesting. When you're passionate about something, gee, you draw people in. You really draw like-minded people in. And you become surrounded with those like-minded and like-energied people. And you are better able to keep the rubbish, the negativity, all of that. You can keep it at bay. Your boundaries are a lot more solid around you. Mm-hmm. Um, because the grind gets rid of the boundaries mm-hmm. and it's like you know we're magnets and like attracts like so if we're shining with positive energy and and you know living from our passion and purpose we attract that our circle then becomes that but if we're in our negative you know not wanting to get out of bed in the morning looking at all the bad things in life it's going to attract that we're going to notice and bring in people who are doing the same thing. So it's just like attracts like. Energy loves energy. Absolutely. So, yeah, no wonder things are changing now, you know, and that's what I love. That's what I found when I started to go on this journey that it was like, wow, I didn't realise how many wins I had in my life. Like I used to just focus yep. on all yep. the negatives, how hard life used to be. And then now I'm yep. like, oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> And then sometimes like you have like that little, say, a universe test, something that kind of just drops back in and you're like, well, yes. what is this? And you feel that yuckiness inside of you, but you're so, it's so easy to just kind of go, okay, we're not doing that anymore. Um, where before yes. it would be like, I would feed off that negativity because I don't know, maybe it made my ego feel better or I, whatever it was, just like that like attracting like, but now it's like, yeah, get away. <laughs> Like we're not doing that anymore. Exactly. I don't deal yeah. in absolutes anymore. I used to, so if something negative happened, I would go, I'm an absolute failure. No, oh, there's yeah. no absolute. You know, it's and now they're called hiccups. Oh, there's a hiccup. Okay, well, what mm-hmm. do we do with hiccup? We drink a glass of water upside down and then they go, okay, what's my <laughs> glass of water? <laughs> what do I do yeah. here? Um, you know, um, but you don't, you don't focus on the hiccup. You know, you go, radio, you know. And, and I also bring it back to, you know, Lao Tzu's um, something about war, the art of war. You know, you, you go back to those theories and just because there's another little battle has popped up doesn't mean it's the war. So mm-hmm. you carry on, you know. You don't lose sight of what you're going on. I've now lined my hallway and my bedroom door with what I will and will not, like with my boundaries. These are my boundaries. Mm-hmm. This is my vision. And this is what I'm, I'm, you know, this is all I'm doing. So if anyone comes, sways from that, um, that script that I've got up around my house, I'm not engaging in it. Mm-hmm. And I have lost a couple of friends along the way. And whereas once upon a time I would have, you know, lamented, now I'm like, oh, God, I just lost, you know, 64 kilos. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Fastest way to lose weight, ladies. <laughs> just with that rubbish and go, look at all that weight I lost. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but that's that's what you find, you know, like when we're when we're growing, people around us can either grow with us or they'll try and hold us back. And Oh, I've yeah. definitely had those uncomfortable conversations with, you know, friends and partner and family members. And it's like, hey, this is what I'm doing now. And this is the way that I'm going. You can either come with me or you can stay. And, you know, you do lose some, but some also they're like, yeah, let's do it. 
and they'll come and rise yeah. up with you. Um, you yes. know, and it, it, how, oh, like, how good is life when you just get to keep growing? Like, I'm just gonna just, just keep saying that. Like, I, I love personal growth and and learning. Like you mentioned as well. You know, I'm the same. Like, anything that can teach me something, I'm like, take my money. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so exactly. To the woman who's listening now, who's really resonating with your story and with you, you know, what words of wisdom or advice would you give her? You know, if she's kind of thinking, oh, is this for me or will this help me? You know, do you have any words of wisdom that you could share with her right now? Um, I would, I don't know if you, you did this or I can't remember. I actually went back and spoke to my younger self and yes. looked at my younger self and went, okay. What do I want? Or if this is my child, is this what I want for my child? I don't, I don't want this for my child. Why these battles? They're so, so energy sapping in that. What is it I want for my child? And if it's good enough for my child, it's good enough for me. Um, and I did go back and go, you know, what, what was that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kid? What, what did that kid want? That kid wanted to explore the world. That kid didn't know that there were nasty people out well there were people out there but not this level of nastiness not this level of problems um you know you want to be operating from a very simple book not a scrapbook of mess and so I actually went you know what my right I have a right here to actually be operating from a very simple book and the simple book is what I put in it and what I'm putting in it equates to my values and my beliefs and my purpose and my passion and the rest of it it doesn't need attention I don't have to take all that in I can either be a person or a sponge well being a sponge took over my life and destroyed it and I'm you know I won't allow that for anybody now so I now operate like this is me this is who I am I'm being unapologetic about it because I'm not going out, I'm, you know, I'm not going out hurting anybody. Um, so, you know, my words of wisdom would be accept who you are, warts and all. You're the only one of your kind and you have as much right as anybody else. And I think we get so caught up in accommodating others that we lose who we are and what makes all those other people have more right to be who they are than you do. You know, so that's that's what I live by. I, love I get that. to be who I am. There's only one me. Yeah. Mhm. That's so empowering. I get to be who I am. There's only one me. Like mm. mic drop right there. <laughs> Thank you so much for for joining me today and you know just sharing all your stories. You're you're absolutely so inspiring, and I'm so excited about where you're going to be going in the future and your journey. Like. You've already changed so many people's lives and, I mean, it's just the beginning, isn't it? It is and it's exciting and life doesn't end at 50. (laughs) No. (laughs) I look at it now and go, okay, I'm going to live to be old. So that's the first half. The first half was good but there were some train smashes in there. Right, second half, yeah, I can see the train smashes coming. We'll dodge that, eh? Let's just go this way. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) No, thanks, Abby.